All right, we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 14. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we open your word. We ask you to guide, lead us, let us to see what you want us to see from these scriptures, and that we will be taught from you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to read a very large section of scripture, which is unusual for me on Sunday morning, but we're going to read a large section, three different stories. Why? Because all the three stories have pretty much the same message. So, Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 7. And he put forth a parable to those that were bidden, when he had marked how they chose out the chief room, saying to them, When you are bidden to a man, by, by, of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest the more honorable man than you be bidden of him. And he that bade you... And he come and say, give up, give this man place, and you begin with shame to take the, the lowest room. But when you are bidden, go and sit in the lowest room. And when he that may bid you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you shall have worship in the presence of them that sit in the, at meat with thee. And whosoever, for whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, and he that is, humbles himself shall be exalted. Then he said unto them also that bade him, When you make a dinner or a supper, call not your friends and your brethren, neither your kinsmen nor your rich neighbors, lest they also bid you again in a recompense to be made you. But when you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you shall be blessed, for they cannot recompense you, for you shall be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And when one of them said that, that said at dinner, with him heard these things. He said, Blessed is he that shall eat the bread of the kingdom of God. Then he said, A man, certain man with, made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant to the, at supper time and said to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And when all were come, and they all with one consent began to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a piece of ground and I, have, and I need to go see it. I pray you excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go prove them. Pray have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and, the, and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the, the halt, and the blind. And the servant of the Lord said, Lord, it is done as you have commanded and there is yet room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So we want to look at these because these are very interesting stories because Jesus is talking about our relationship to God the Father through these stories. Uh, the first part is he told them the first story because he was watching them as they picked their seats at the dinner. Now, have you ever gone to some fancy dinner or party or something and watched how people pick their seats? Jesus was doing this. He was watching. Who thinks they're so important that they're going to sit, you know, uh, up on the dais or as close to the dais as possible? Because those are the choice seats. Now, now most people know you don't go on the dais unless you are invited up to the dais. But there, I have seen people actually that are bold enough to go sit at the head table. All right, um, and they get just what Jesus said. The, the person who's supposed to be up there comes along and they go, excuse me, you need to uh, give up your seat. And um, what happens if you're in the wrong seat and you're asked to move? 
You go to the back of the room, which is the worst seats in the room. And this is what Jesus is telling the people. He goes, how are you picking it? Why are you picking this seat? All right. Now, when you look at these stories, they're uh, very interesting as we go through. When it talks about the, the rooms, it literally is talking about the place amongst the couch and the table. All right. He's not talking about they had one room where the speaker was and another one way at the back of the house that you sat in. It was these were places along the table that you had, that you were sitting in. And uh, how many of you have ever been to something where you weren't sure what seat you were supposed to sit in? You know, who was supposed to sit at the head of the table? You know, uh, who was supposed to sit, you know, at the kids' table? <laughs> uh, you know, so we go through this process, and Jesus is saying, be very careful where, where you're sitting. And, and uh, then he goes to the, to, the, to the owner, he goes, when you have a feast... Don't bring, those, bring people in that are going to be able to pay you back. In other words, you know, I'm going to give you dinner this week and I expect to be invited to your house next week. You might not say that, but you, you understand that. Uh, you know, I've even met people who will not invite certain family members to their, to their family get-togethers because they know that they'll never be invited to their house. That's what Jesus is saying, don't do. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're going to talk about those ones first before we go into the third story, which is a little, you know, what is Jesus saying about this is, are we going to humble ourselves? Now, this is a very pragmatic statement when we first look at it. You know, and I gave you the example. You sit at the, on the dais, and all of a sudden you're told, uh, you know, you don't have a spot here. This person is supposed to be here. And then you have that walk of shame as everybody watches you walk off the dais to some other table somewhere in the back of the place, most likely. Because usually if you're in the wrong chair, they don't go, oh, well, no, you belong on this table, and then these, this person out here goes along. And this. You know, they don't usually domino affect you back to, to where you are. You go to the very bottom. So we can go, well, this is very pragmatic. This is, this is very true. Um, and it is. Uh, Proverbs 25.7 says the same thing. Don't choose, when you go to a dinner, don't choose the best table in case somebody more important comes along. So this is pragmatic but is it really is Jesus really trying to just make a practical pragmatic statement no he's really talking about the heart of the person because there are a lot of people that go well I'm going to be humble I'll go sit in the back of the back of the room I'll sit I'll pick the smallest table so that somebody can move me up and I'll get to I'll get to look really good as I'm picked up from the back of the table back of the room and move to move to the front you know and people think that way what's the problem though what if you don't get picked to move up what is your attitude then well I humbled myself and I didn't get the honor I deserved if that's your attitude you did this for the wrong reasons all right and this is what Jesus is saying what is your reason behind what you're doing and I've seen it in lots of churches where people purposely sit in the in the least least responsible then you look at their faces and they're going you can see that they're just a little irritated. Somebody didn't recognize them and, and, and move them up, didn't give them recognition. That's not what Jesus is saying. Yes, it's very pragmatic. If you're supposed to be higher up, you're going to be, be moved up. But the question is, what happens when you don't? You know, this is the law that God is putting in is a real one, that you can get elevated or demoted and humbled if you're not going to be in the right place. And we all recognize that this happens. But the real attitude is, what is our heart? If I'm sitting at the kids' table, I'm going to bring it into our day and age, 
you, you've gone to Thanksgiving dinner and you're sitting at the kids' table. And if you don't have somebody that says, well, get up here to the adult table, are you going to be irritated or angry that you're sitting at the kids' table? Now, it's kind of fun sitting at the kids' table sometimes, you know. <laughs> um, you know so, sometimes you get somebody who gets the kids in trouble because they're a bigger kid than the kids are. <laughs> uh, you know, and that happens. But, you know, what is our attitude toward this? Because I, I will teach God's principles sometimes and go, well, I was nice to somebody and they weren't nice back to me. Well, that's fine. Was your purpose of being nice to them so that they would be nice to you? Now, if that was your only reason for being nice to them, it was the wrong reason. Now, the law, the law of reciprocity means that you will most likely get niceness back to you when you're nice. Right? I was taught that in customer service. When somebody's being mean and nasty and, and all you want to do is kick them out of the place, you be nice to them and usually they will soften. Is it 100% of the time? No. Was my reason to get them to soften? Well, in that case, yes, it was. <laughs> I was trying to get them to soften. But if my whole motivation is I'm being nice to you so that you'll be nice to me and you're not nice to me so that I, you know, I'm not going to be nice to you anymore, you revealed that your heart was wrong. And this is something that Jesus is talking about. He goes, when you're going to these banquets, what are you doing? Are you wanting to sit in the best places? Why do you want to sit in the best places? If you're sitting up on the dais, everybody's watching you. Now, the only problem with being sitting up on the dais is everybody's watching you. <laughs> it's a great place until you spill your drink or spill your food or, or fumble with something, and then everybody's watching you. <laughs> You know, it's probably not the best place to be. <laughs> but again, how close to the dais are you trying to sit? Sometimes people are trying to get there not because they think they deserve it, but they want to sit next to the people that are up there, and they get a reflected glory. I really didn't deserve to be on the seat next to them, but look at all the people I'm sitting with. Look at all the important people that I got to sit with for dinner. Again, pride. We need to be very careful because pride is the biggest sin that we can have as human beings. What was Lucifer's first sin? Well, if you read Isaiah 14, you find out that it is pride. I will exalt myself to be like God. He didn't say he was wanting to be greater than God. He was at least intelligent enough to know that he could not be greater than God. But if you read carefully, he said, I will be like the Most High. I will sit at the seat with him. He didn't really, I'm sure in the long run he wanted to be greater than, but at least in his first process is, I want to be like him. I want to get that reflected glory and have people looking at me. What was his sin that he, that he uh, tempted Eve with? Eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you will be like God knowing good and evil. What is the sin that he usually will tempt us with ultimately? You can be like God. You can be the one people are looking to. You can be the one that people are, are worshiping and enjoying being around. Pride is our biggest problem that we have to deal with, which is why the answer to, to pride is to surrender to God. And I tell people all the time, our answer, what we need to do to get, out, get through our problems is to surrender. And everybody goes, well, how do you surrender? 
Well, many of you have heard me say this so many times. You surrender by surrendering. You just do it. Now, I know it's easier said than done, believe me. There have been times when I have fought with God and fought with God and finally surrendered. And you know what I did after I finally surrendered and found out how easy it was? I go, how stupid was I not to surrender earlier? Because it was so easy to do. You know, and I've said this as an example. If the police were outside with a big bullhorn saying, come out with your hands up, we have two choices. We can come out with our hands up and surrender. Or we can say, you'll never take us. Really dumb because the police would have the building surrounded and they would finally take us anyway, no matter what. You know, work out of the prison. You know, the prisoners do dumb things all the time. They're not going anywhere. You know, they're not going anywhere when they're being stupid. We just wait for them to finally get hungry enough or tired enough to, to, to be put into handcuffs and be able to be taken away. We don't have to do a lot. The police wouldn't have to do a lot. God doesn't have to do a lot to us when he was asking us to surrender. He just doesn't allow us to have the ease of life that we would have if we surrendered. Surrender is easy. Why don't we surrender easily? It goes against pride. I have to give up what I want when I want it and turn, turn my life over to God. But I'm going to tell you I'm learning. It, I'm a slow learner. You know, it's taken me 50 plus years to learn these things, but I'm learning it's better to surrender to God than not surrender. He has never lost out to my needs. I have always lost to him. And it's much easier to surrender because he'll make life miserable for us if we don't want to surrender. And he can make life very miserable if we don't surrender. And what's worse is if you're fighting God, everybody around you, their life gets, gets to be a little more miserable as well when you're not surrendered. Especially for us fathers, husbands, we mess up our families because we don't surrender. Moms, you get to mess up your children children when you don't surrender. Children, they just make life miserable for the parents when they don't surrender. You know, everybody is affected by what we, everybody that around us is affected by what we do. Sin is never something that just affects us. That is usually what people go, well, all I did, all it did was affect me. There is no sin out there that only affects you. You may be the primary one that is affected, but everybody around you will be affected by your sin. And we see it over and over in the scriptures. When we think of, we know David, uh, we think about David, and what two things do we think about David? We think about David and Goliath, and we think of David and Bathsheba. David and Goliath, he got promoted and great, great honor because of his obedience. David and Bathsheba lost the firstborn son from her, and he murdered Uriah. And then God said, because of the judgment, the sword will always be in your house, and there will be trials and, and problems, and he will study the rest of David's life. He had all kinds of problems, and his kids were bad. He had two kids try to take his kingdom from him. All right? Uh, and all kinds of problems because of the consequence of his action. And he would, he would have thought, well, it was only adultery. It wasn't that big a deal. Well, Adultery was a big deal. Adultery, in case you don't know it in the Old Testament, was a capital offense. Boy, we'd be in trouble in today's world if we applied that standard today. For all the adultery that goes on in our, in our country, God considers it a very important step to be pure in our sexual relationships. 
And all of this goes in and Jesus is saying, be careful what you choose. Do not let your pride promote you. And then further into pride, he goes, and by the way, when you're going to have a party, don't invite all the people that are going to have you back at their house next week. You know, and this is something that is very important. You know, uh, there have been times when we've had our dinners where people go, well, these people didn't even come to church. What are they at dinner for? And I go, I don't care. They're here. They're here at dinner. It's time for us to be nice to them and show the God's love to them, even though they didn't come to church, they didn't come to Sunday school. Maybe they're not going to be in church at all that week. They're in the church building, and we can be nice to them and kind to them and build a bridge to them and try to encourage them to come to church in the future. And some people have. They didn't come to church, and they, they came to dinners, then they came to, to church eventually. Some never did. You know, it doesn't matter. Why? Because we're ministering to people. Our, ch our chance is to take them up there and be able to talk to them, love on them, make them feel good about being in with God's people. Because I'm going to tell you right now, this room is not the church. This room is filled with the church. When we're up there, we're the church. When we're out all over Chloride and, and Mojave County each, uh, on each day, we are the church outside these walls. And we are taking the church to everybody around us, and we need to be doing that. This is why I put the bulletin, in the bulletins a, a track and saying, Church, let's give out a track. Now, I want to say I, I love this church because we give out about 2,000 tracks. You know, we, we've got less than 20 people here, and we give about 1,000 to 2,000 tracks out every year. We give out over 1,000 of these pens with the church's name and, and email address and, and website every year. You all are doing a good job at least getting the information out. Now, eventually, we'll take it to the next level and actually be helping to witness to these people. But you know, the more we tell people about God, the better off it is. And we've shared this so many times and people go, well, I don't have time to tell people the gospel message. I can give you the gospel message in about 30 seconds. We're all sinners, we're headed to hell and we need Jesus Christ as a perfect salvation to, to get to heaven. That's the gospel. Now, hopefully we'll add more to it and be able to get questions from them, but that's the gospel. We all are sinners. We all deserve hell, and without Jesus Christ, we would not be able to go to heaven. Now, we can give that gospel. I can give the gospel out in just, a, just that amount of time. The other thing that we would encourage you to do is know your testimony. Be able to share with people, how did you get saved? How did you come to Christ? I love that. I was very fortunate. I've told this over and over again. I got saved when I was 10 years old. Nobody in my family was in church at that time. God had me give me a desire to go to church, and I would go to the nearest church. And from about six or seven years old, I would walk to the nearest church. At 10 years old, a bus actually came and picked me up. It was even nicer. And then I got saved. I recognized that I was a sinner in need of Christ. Two years later, the greatest thing that happened in my family was that my dad got saved and I could go to church more than once a week. Because my dad is like me. He does everything at about 110% and we went to church every time the doors were open. And I didn't get drugged to church. I was ready to go to church. My brother and sister got drugged to church. <laughs> they didn't want to go to church. But I wanted to. I wanted to serve God. I got into Bible study. 
and I loved God and wanted to know all I could about God. But it took at 10 years old to recognize that I was a sinner. Hopefully you can be able to share with people how did you get saved. You don't need to know exactly the day or time or anything. It's nice if you do. Some people say you can't be a saved if you don't know, and I disagree with that. My life totally changed when I got saved. You know, when I was a 10-year-old child, you didn't want to know me. I was a terror. I had bad temper, and I took it out on everybody around me. I was in constant fights, and God changed me overnight. That people, know, people knew that I was a new creation. Do you know your story? Can you tell people your story about God? Because one thing about it is if you're telling your story and how you changed, there is not a person out there that can convince you that it didn't happen. And if they can, your story's awfully weak. Why? Because it happened to you. You know your story. And it is your story of how God has changed your life. And I've talked with people all the time. There's one thing I think is very important about our salvation experience. Salvation is really simple. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come into my life. But if I truly mean it, something in my life is going to change. It's going to be 2 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 5.17. I'll be a new creation in Christ. Something new will happen to you. Something big will change in your life when you become a new creation. Will you become perfect? I wish. <laughs> but something should be in your life and say, this changed in my life. Now, some people have lots and lots of changes in their life. I wasn't one of them. I had one big change, and God has taken 50-plus years to get the rest of it out of there, and he's still working on changing my life. But I can watch and see all the different changes in my life that have happened and say, God is changing me. And I know, of many, I know the testimony of many people in this room, and I know that God is changing you. And if you're not experiencing that change, get to know God. If you're really not experiencing change, then talk to God about it. Say, God, do I know you? Am I being changed? Come in, and if, you, if you're not concerned, just say the same thing. God, I'm a sinner. Come into my life. I need Jesus to save me. And I mean it this time. Come in. And watch what he's going to do. Because those words aren't abracadabra, you're saved. They're the right words, but you have to mean and believe it in your heart that they're right. And this leads us into that third story. The, these people were invited to the wedding of the, the, the master's son. And they all gave wonderful excuses. You know, hey, I bought a piece of land. I got to go see it. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I would be buy a piece of land that I had never seen. Okay? Uh, so, lousy excuse. You know, I just bought five, five of a yoke of oxen. I got to go see if they work. <laughs> Can they, can they actually plow, or, or, or did I buy a bunch of uh, uh, weak, weak need ones that can't, can't do any work? Again, you wouldn't do this. Now, the one who said he just got married, I'm almost by his story, but he could have brought his wife to, to, the, to the wedding, I'm sure. And what was the answer to them? He says to his servants, go get anybody. I don't care who it is. Get the lame, the blind, the the." the the, the weak and bring them to the supper. You know what? I love that statement because who are, who are the lame, the weak, and the blind? Us. We deserve nothing. We deserve death. We deserve hell. And because Jesus came and, and the Jews rejected him, 
The righteous tend to reject him. He says, get all those, get all those others and bring them in. Get them in here. I know that I don't deserve any good that God has given me. And I know that none of you deserve any good that God has given you. If you think you do, you better read your Bible. Because none of us do. I always start with me because I know that I don't deserve it. And yet he calls us to be part of his family. And beyond this, there's going to be the day that we were going to go to the wedding supper of the Lamb and be part of the bride of Christ at the wedding supper of the Lamb. When the tribulation, when the end days come along and the tribulation starts and we're taken up to heaven in the rapture, we will stand and have a seven-year party. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I've never had a seven-year party. Now, there'll be a seven-year party while this world goes through hell because we made the right decision to follow God. I'm looking forward to it. And if we die before that, we'll still go to that party because we don't die. All we do is transition into the presence of God. What a beautiful thing for us as Christians. Do we really understand what we have in Christ? When we accept Christ as our Savior, we have eternal life that starts at the moment that we accept Christ. It's not we start eternal life when our body dies. He comes and lives in us, and we have eternal life from that moment. And all that happens is the body dies, and we just go straight before the Father and say, I'm here, thank you. And we get to worship him directly instead of unseen. And then when the rapture happens, we'll get to get our glorified body, and we'll enjoy a seven-year feast with everybody who gets raptured. It's not a problem. The, the truth is there no matter what. I am looking forward to it. At any moment, we could, go to, we could go be with God. We are that close. There is nothing that has to happen for God to say, church, come home. And I can picture Jesus, you know, uh, I think everybody in here has been married at least once, but can, for us men, can you remember what it was like to stand in the front of the church and wait for your bride to come down that, down that aisle? You know, I can remember looking back and going, that's my bride. I can also remember it's about time. I'm ready for this to be going on. It's time to get finished. As she comes down the aisle, waiting for that day. I can't speak from the women's point of view. That would have to come from a women's, women's meeting. You know, they're probably going, oh, no, there's that gorilla down at the end of the, end of the row I've got to spend the rest of my life with. Uh, but, you know, we look up and... It's kind of unfair because she's decked out perfectly and dressed up and, and put on the makeup and the hair and everything, and it's just like, wow. Do you realize that that is how Jesus looks at us, his bride? He clothes us with his righteousness, and we're going to come down into his presence fully decked out, and he's going to be saying, wow, that is my beautiful bride that he's been waiting for, that he's been looking for, do we really understand our standing with God? Most of us think that we're not worth anything and God doesn't want us and he's just putting up with us. That is not his attitude. He has clothed us in the righteousness of Christ and when he looks at us, he sees perfection. He sees somebody that's fully decked out and desirable. That is his opinion of us when we're saved. Now, when we're not saved, we have a bigger problem. 
We get to appear before God in our own righteousness. Now, most people think, you know, if you witnessed enough people, they're going to tell you, well, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. The answer is, no, you're not. Because the people that stand at the white throne judgment before God are going to stand before them in their own righteousness. And Isaiah says our own righteousness is filthy rags. And I can just picture people at the white throne judgment saying, God, look how good I have been as they look down and realize that all they have is a bunch of rags to be presenting to God. And that's not their sin. That is all the good things that they have done. They will stand before God in rags trying to tell them that they deserve to go into heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be like going to some fancy restaurant and you're dressed in your your uh, blue jeans cut off at the cut off at mid thigh and you're wearing a tank top and everybody else is coming in in suits and ties saying I, I belong in there you know let me in I, I, I will, I'll fit in this is the problem and I, I'm trying to make these real-life examples for you people trying to get in with their righteousness are, are fully underdressed because there's only one proper garment to enter into heaven that's the righteousness of Christ perfection isn't it wonderful that God came to this world to die for us so that we could be seen as perfect in front of him without him dying for us we could not enter into heaven which is why he came to die we need to fully understand that and understand who we are in Christ because this is what he's doing he says compel them to come in compel urge them to come in and for anybody that's listening or even in this room that isn't saved today is the day to admit your sinner and, and ask Jesus to come into your heart and online hopefully there's somebody out there who's going to listen and hear the same word but we're going to end here and just say where are we at for all of us who are saved I encourage us to really start knowing about who we are in Christ and reach out to others our job is a simple job is to tell others what has happened to us and encourage them to come to Christ. Now, can we make them come to Christ? No, we can't make them come to Christ. But our job is just to tell them. Paul told them, this says, I've, I've planted, Apollos watered, and you know, another reaped. I can't remember who it was, Peter. <laughs> but you know, our job is just to tell people. It's the Holy Spirit that will bring in the harvest. Sometimes we get to be the one that says the prayer with them. Sometimes we're the one that just planted seeds. Sometimes we're the one that waters the seeds. We're not to go to feel bad because no matter who what part you have in it, God rewards you for your part in that, in that job. Very few people get saved the very first time they hear the gospel message. Matter of fact, I've heard them over and over again. I don't know how they determine. They say the people need to hear the gospel message seven times before they get saved. I don't know if that's true or not. I'll leave it to the guys that studied it. But I do know it's very funny because I've listened to people go, and it was the first time I heard the, message, the gospel message, and I'm going, what about the three times I told you before? What about the other people that told you? But you know what? At the same time, I'm absolutely sure it was true. It was the first time they actually heard the message that went beyond their ears and actually went into their brain and said, I need this truth. And so, you know, our job, and it's kind of funny because I mention this all the time, when you read the Bible, it's an amazing thing to me about how many times God repeats himself. Why does he repeat himself? 
He knows one thing about us. We don't listen. <laughs> we don't listen very well, so he repeats himself and repeats himself and repeats himself and repeats himself, hoping that one day we will actually hear and obey. And, you know, I know that as a pastor. I know when I'm teaching people that they're as hard-headed as I am at least. You know, and it's hard to be as hard-headed as I am, I know. But I have to hear things multiple times before I will actually hear and respond. And I know that people are the same way. God knows that we are the same way. You know, and this is one thing, if you do start actually reading the Bible through every year, you're going to see how much God repeats himself. It's hard sometimes when I'm going through a book and I'm going, didn't I just teach this? No, that was last week when I taught that other book. You know, but God is going to repeat himself over and over again. And so we want to just encourage us to ask God to give us a soft heart and to hear what he says and respond quickly. Lord, we ask you to bless this day. Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, or listening online, we ask that you will come to you today and would say, Lord, I am a sinner. I know I deserve punishment. I thank, believe that Jesus died on the cross for my salvation. Come into my life and make me your child. And Lord, for the rest of us, we pray that you give us a soft heart and hearing ears that we will respond and surrender quicker to you in all of our decisions. We ask you to just be with us all in all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.